Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Resiliency in Running podcast. My name is Liz, and I will be your host. Today, I'm so excited to share this interview that I got to do with Nate Reich. He is a Paralympic athlete. He was the 2019 world champ and holds two world records, and I am just so excited to share about his story in our interview and just share another fellow runner on the podcast. I'm very excited to have Nate on the show today. I was totally shocked to see your message and kind of just get a glimpse into your background and just see that someone that's, you know, had so many amazing accomplishments reached out to ask to be on the podcast. So I had to jump on the opportunity and I said yes immediately. And so, yeah, I'm just really excited to have you on the show today. So why don't you take a chance to just introduce yourself and kind of just, I'll give you a chance to share about your story and your background. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Nate Reich. Uh, I'm a Paralympic athlete for Team Canada. And I grew up, at least my friends say, a very unique way. Um, I had about 10 professional athletes in my family, and I was born right in the middle of that, uh, which was really cool for me. So basically, at 5 a.m. every morning, my parents would be working out, and I'd just be chilling with them. And I basically grew up at, uh, at the track. and But I kind of clung to baseball pretty early. I really, really enjoyed baseball, and I think I didn't want to do what my parents <laughs> were, were necessarily doing. My dad did commercials with Tiger Woods, and my mom was Canadian national champion. So I just I saw like uh, how it would have been a tough road to kind of follow in those in those footsteps, and uh, I I wanted a twist to happen. I wanted uh, to be different. Um, I, I love my family, but I've always kind of been that kid that likes to go on uh, by themselves and just kind of do their own thing. And so uh, I never thought it would be done for me. Um, and what I'm talking about in 2005, I ended up getting hit head with a golf ball, uh, which resulted in, in uh, paralysis. Um, so I was basically playing golf with a bunch of my friends and us kids were driving our parents crazy. Uh, and so they just said, like, go play golf. Stop bugging us. And on the seventh hole, I was living in Arizona at the time, and it was really, really hot out, like 110, 115 a day, which is pretty normal in Arizona. But uh, they they say, why don't you hit your balls and then go stand under, the, under this tree that's about uh, 150 yards left of the fairway. Um, and then next thing I know, I remember the guy who hit the first drive had like this Nike driver, and it just sounded like a tin trash can when you hit it. Mm. And that's the next thing I re- or I noticed my body went just numb um and everyone asked like did you fall did you faint no um I called my mom she thought I was faking it uh, because I was complaining that my right arm was really sore because I pitched a complete game the night before and I was a bit uh bit of a drama queen so to say uh during those during those early days which I might still be um so yeah she called me dropped my friends off first like I said she thought I was faking it by the time we were about at a hospital, basically my whole right side had become paralyzed. I couldn't smile. My eye, eye became droopy. And then my mom said, we got that, got to the hospital. And she said, Nate, jump, jump out of the car and run, run to the hospital. And I couldn't. I was dragging my leg and got back to the room, had my first seizure. And then, yeah, I think uh, during that time, they kept throwing around this world or this word paralyzed and I didn't know what paralyzed meant you know it's really good that I didn't know that I think mm-hmm. I was just like oh like I'm supposed to recover and I didn't really know anything different and I think having family that's so so competitive like like they are um was really helpful and then I think uh you know the aha moment the kind of turning point in my life 
uh, was when I had a, my exit interview with, with my doctor and he said, Nate, you'll never walk without a limp and competitive sports are just not in your future. And, you know, you have two roads to pick from. Do you go down this like smooth road that has no adversity at all? Um, do you just listen to the doctors or do you try to stand up and try to play sports and say, no, uh, you know, that's, that's not going to happen. And so I decided to choose running, um, kind of the fiery side of me, kind of the extension of my middle finger a, a little bit. And just someone said that you can't walk. And so I said, why don't I just r do, do running for a living? And so, um, that's, you know, running's uh, opened so many doors for me and yeah, that's kind of uh, who I am in a, in a nutshell. Wow. That's crazy. I was watching some of those earlier videos, I think either through TikTok or Twitter or something, but just about some of like the background and some of those earlier videos of, I think it was your mom talking about how you were a kid that was just like, okay, I got through this exercise and now I'm ready for the next one. And you were just always really keen for the next thing. And just, it seemed like you always kept a really positive attitude, like regardless of the condition that you were facing at the time. Yeah, I don't think my mom would let me do anything different, to be fully honest with you. Uh, my mom's a very fiery person. Um, I'm really thankful I grew up with her. She's a very strong, independent woman. And um, I think she was like one of my role models. And we always joked that I was just raised by a lot of really strong women. And um, and now my coach is a woman. And I've seen uh, drastic improvements. Um, and my mom always thought like I needed to be coached by a woman at some point uh, to really kind of take off my career. And so it's it's kind of funny how that is. But yeah, I think, um, you know, I think if you are negative, it's really hard to recover because um, it can get really frustrating because learning, relearning how to walk, like it's such a simple task mm. and you, we all take it for granted. And when you can't do it, or like when I can't, like I was on a feeding tube and so I couldn't eat my own food. Like I, it's just like, it's just crazy that, you know, 360 turn it, it, it took for me. And I think I was like, I was in a middle-class family, like very privileged. And then that was really my first battle with adversity. And uh, I, I always say it's the best thing to ever happen to me because I learned so many lessons that maybe I wouldn't have learned till I was 40 or 50. I mean, you never know uh, when these lessons come. I think everyone has adversity. I don't think one is worse than the other. That's just my personal opinion. Um, like we all have those kind of bumps in the road and that was just mine. And it, it just came really, really early for me. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That piece that you were just talking about around adversity, I think you know, a lot of people who grow up without challenges kind of just kind of go about life. And it seems as if life is kind of handed to them. And I think people who have faced adversity, you see life through a different lens. And I think I definitely agree that I think, you know, things even that I faced in my life, I'm definitely grateful for them, even though they were really tough to get through. I think, you know, it gives you a much bigger and greater appreciation for life. And it you know, it just allows you to live life to the fullest, honestly, I think. Yeah. And like, I don't know if funny is the right is the right word, but it's so horrible in the moment and you can't see past the next day. And then looking back on it, I mean, it's been 10 years now looking back on that. Uh, actually, it's been 15 years looking back on that. It's like, wow, like, like, I just love that I that I went, I, I went through that. And so it's just funny, you know, the way that adversity is and it's just so hard sometimes to just see through that next day 
Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we're talking about a lot of these like positives and really trying to see it as positive as possible, but were there any, you know, specific changes or alterations to your childhood growing up that you had to face and just any struggles that you kind of remember in particular that were just harder to get through than other days? Yeah. So I was heavily bullied uh, in high school and junior high. So um, to give you a bit of the story, I basically, so I got paralyzed and I was in the hospital. My parents moved across town to a school district I had no friends in. And one thing that was affected was my stuttering. Obviously you've, I've, you've seen me a couple of times, uh, but I used to not be able to talk at all. Like I, and then I became basically like me, like I wouldn't talk in class. And um, I'm a, I have a pretty uh, boisterous personality for sure. Um, and so they got really concerned and I would like reading class and people would, would make fun of me. And I was pretty emotional after my brain injury. I just think there was just a lot of trauma that mm-hmm. had happened. Uh, and so, yeah, I was just made fun of a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it wasn't really until running um, that I, I kind of find a, found a sort of identity in that. And I don't think running is my identity today. It's just something I do. But back then, it 100% was. And really wasn't until like between fifth and eighth grade. It was a really, really rough time for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it, it was super tough because I just didn't understand why people didn't understand what I went through, but they couldn't understand what I went through. They've never been paralyzed. Uh, yeah. they, they never had to relearn how to walk. And I just think that's what perspective brings you. But I definitely didn't have perspective then, that's for sure. And it'd be and I I just looked different. Like I couldn't I couldn't tie my shoes, my right side didn't work. The only thing I was like got excited about was racing people, it seemed like. And so I think I was just like an odd kind of person um, and I was ultra competitive. Mm-hmm. And so there was kind of like uh, that double-edged sword. And I just think people just maybe thought I was a bit off and uh, uh, my girlfriend will say I'm a bit crazy for sure. Um, you know, I run for a living. So she always says, uh, you know, you have to be somewhat crazy, but yeah, those were like really, really tough times for me. And so that's why even on TikTok, like I'll try to just, um, you know, send really nice comments to people just because like, I remember how I felt and, uh, I don't think I would ever like, um, hurt myself, but, um, like there was a couple instances where I had said in a text message, uh, mm-hmm. to one of my friends, my mom caught it and she came and talked to me, um, mm-hmm. about it. And so I don't think I would have ever done anything, but three of my friends committed suicide within two months, uh, when I was in high school. And so that was like another pretty dark kind of phase. And that was uh, in 10th grade. So I kind of um, ninth grade, like had a really great year and then had some tough times for sure. in 10th grade dealing with that. And they're just like some emotions that you just never think as a kid, you're going to have to deal with. And so, yeah, I think, uh, I think you learn to find that coping mechanism. And it just seems like I just dove into running. I mean, look, talking to you now, you come off so confident and, you know, as you're talking about this kid that was once so, you know, happy and kind of, you know, being bullied by others. And I know I, not that my bullying experience can compare to yours, but I've definitely had similar experiences in middle school where you get bullied. And sometimes I'd I'd almost say that girl bullies can be a little bit harsher than boys, but it definitely, it's, it's a weird age to hear really harsh critiquing of yourself. And something that I specifically remember about like that time is that these were kind of words that people were portraying onto me were just things that I would never think of myself. And then as soon as you allow those ideas to come into your head, I think the challenge is not letting their ideas become your own thoughts of yourself. And I think 
you know, as, as such a young kid, that's so hard to not let the words of your peers affect you. And I think it's so awesome that you were able to find, you know, kind of an outlet for something, a time that was so hard in your life. And I think running is such an awesome thing. And I, I'm someone that also loves running to this day. Do you feel like, you know, running was your outlet in a way to kind of like almost internally, like get back or not get back, but kind of just like, you know, you, you were talking about how competitive you were and that was kind of like, you know, where you were able to really fuel and kind of let go and let loose. Yeah, definitely. I think there was a couple of things. I had great teachers, like just phenomenal teachers. And I'm still friends with every one of my teachers from junior high and high school. And I mean, shoot, I talked to one the other day. I was FaceTiming one the other day. So it's, I've always been really close with them. And yeah, running, I just, I think when I was growing up, when I was playing baseball, like my, my biological dad was NCAA record holder in the javelin. My stepdad played professional baseball and went to the College World Series. So in baseball, that was very naturally, it came really, really easy to me because um, I had these natural abilities. Uh, and, and running was tough. Like running was really, really, really tough. And I think I did feel this sense of freedom uh, mm. when I ran. And I think I just got so sick of people telling me I couldn't do things. Mm. Like doctors telling me you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And I'm like, what do you know like I know myself better than than you know me and so yeah I think anyone who knows me thinks I'm blunt and I'm definitely pretty fiery I think running boats well for me and yeah I, I think running has definitely evolved over the years like it's um so different why I love it now than what, why I did then and at that point I just wanted to be the best mm. uh, just wanted to be the best in the world and uh, I didn't know what the how big the world was or you know it's just uh but yeah it, it definitely did I think like you said it allowed me to feel that competitiveness I think that was so important for me and I think sports is the best metaphor for life mm. and so I feel like you can learn so many real life experiences in that environment but you don't have the risks of like losing your job or failing in the business world so I think that's that was really important to me and kind of, uh, I think along the way, character uh, for some reason is just the most important thing to me. Um, my mom is a very ethical person. My stepdad, who is my best friend, is a very ethical person. And so I think I picked that up through sports too, which I'm really, really thankful for. Um, I love giving back. And so I, I think that all ties into running. And as you know, the running community is just so amazing. Um, and you know, we all pick each other up if we have bad days or we all celebrate each other when we have those pretty cool moments. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. I think I was kind of similar with my running in terms of, well, I guess I started out and it was more, it came off of sports and it was just, you know, from like 10 years of soccer, I was just like, well, I've been running so much and I might, might as well just keep on running. But it started out as something that was just a way to kind of just clear your mind and clear your head. And I feel like, you know, it's, it is such an amazing community. And I feel like the race atmosphere is just something so surreal. And I, I mean, I've never raced like you've raced, but um, I can't imagine what that atmosphere is like. I, w I wanted to hear more about just what your running journey has looked like and when did it really start to get, you know, a lot more serious and what has that looked like for you? Yeah, definitely. And so like we talked, obviously there's a theme of my parents. Uh, my parents uh, were very hard on me, but they were the perfect parents for me um, because that's how you motivate me is like, I can like, like they didn't yell at me like, 
where it was a problem, but they did like, there were certain times where my mom would definitely get on me and she would get mad at me and that, but that's how I love that. That's how I react. I listen to what you say, not how you say it. And so um, that was really important. And my mom basically coached me um, in junior high um, and she like wouldn't let me run much. She was like, I don't care. I don't know how to properly train you for distance running. She's a sprinter. So junior high and high school uh, was like pretty chill. And then I got to my, I transferred from Arizona to Georgia because my family moved. Um, and then I got a really good coach in Milton, Georgia at Milton High School. And so that's kind of where it got more serious for sure. Um, I think I ended up running like 1530 my senior year in the 5k and uh, Firm University in Greenville, South Carolina was looking at Josh Brickle, who was a footlocker finalist, um, like top five in the nation. And I ended up, I was ranked like 20th or 30th going, in, going into state. And I actually went from like seventh to second, the last hill within the last hundred meters. And they were there to w- uh, watch Josh who got first and I ended up being second. And so they ended up recruiting me. And I ended up going there and um, they gave me some really good opportunities, but I really didn't know who I was at that point. Um, me and the staff had a little bit of uh, different ideas and I was one of the only a- athletes on half scholarship. Most of them were on full. And um, at, at, at that point I was beating a lot of the kids that were on full, um, which that's none of their problem, but I just wanted different opportunities. And on- honestly, I'm so thankful for the staff at Furman. Um, they gave me a lot of opportunities, but I went to South Alabama, which was more me school. Uh, mm-hmm. Furman was like 3,500 private liberal arts. Um, and my, and I went to a high school that was like 3000. I, so like, I was like, why am I going to this little private liberal arts school? Like, I think it kind of clicked like after my freshman year. And so I transferred to South Alabama, which when I say I went to South Alabama, a lot of people are confused. They're like, isn't that like super, super Southern, but it's like, we're right on the tip of Florida. Um, so it's like 20 minutes from Pensacola. So you get that Florida vibe and the weather is very Florida and it doesn't even have that Alabama kind of. I guess, stereotype, you would sort of say. And so I really love that because I was originally born in California. Uh, so I'm definitely a Cali boy at heart for sure. So I uh, really enjoyed that. Had ended up getting, um, I got all conference indoors, which is top three in the mile. Um, but then I, a- I actually ended up passing out and smashing my head against a cement wall and ended up wow. like basically ending my collegiate career. And I tried to run at conference and I got dead last in the final. And I remember calling my mom and being like, I want so much more from this sport than finishing last. And finally, at that time, I still wanted to be the best in the world. That was still my goal. And through the next two years, I moved out to Arizona, contacted the uh, Paralympic Committee in Canada, said I want to run for you because my mom's Canadian um, and my grandpa played in the NHL. They're both Canadian. They just have such pride for the flag. And my mom was the reason why I recovered so well. So I wanted to make sure that I ran for them. And that's something I just always wanted to do. Um, And so, yeah. And so I really, during those two years in Arizona, I just tried to find myself to be fully honest with you. There's like three buckets. I say there's like who your parents want you to be, Mm. who you wish you were and actually who you are. And so I had to kind of figure that out. And so my, my why evolved from being the best in the world to helping, motivating, inspiring the next generation of athletes. And now it's kind of evolved into uh, motivating the next generation of Paralympic athletes. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like my disability, there isn't, like if I walked on the street, you wouldn't know I got paralyzed. Um, yeah. And so it's, 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 it's tough because people like, 
like like why do, why are you on the pair the paralympics and at first that was like really tough to get over mm. um because then i would have to tell like my story is kind of long uh <laughs> so it's like you have to go through the all the whole ordeal and i finally moved up to canada because i really wanted to like be be a a Canadian at heart because it's hard when you get interviewed and you talk about Canada, but I would just be lying through my teeth because I had never lived in Canada. I visited every summer with my grandpa, but like, I didn't really know. And so I made that jump and we have a, such a great uh, facility here. It's called the West hub. They have a East hub and the West hub and I'm at the West hub uh, and they have like everything I could ever think if I work with a sports psychologist. And that's really when I got to know myself. Um, and like, we learned that, uh, you know, I didn't fully, uh, forgive or, uh, let go of my friend Taylor who committed suicide when I was in 10th grade. And so we were alerted to her and then, um, you know, me and my biological dad, uh, we're good, but there, we've had some struggles along the way. And so, and then just like thanking my mom and stepdad and certain family for everything they've done for me. And so I think, I finally found myself and I saw myself being able to actually um, make, I, I call it a 0.1% impact in the, in the Paralympic movement. Just, uh, we, we have a, a half para team and a half able body, they call it team. And it's just been really cool to uh, have Paralympic athletes around me uh, and just really go through the journey. One of my teammates, Tom, we've traveled the world together. Um, we've gone to Switzerland to Barcelona. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been a really, really, really cool experience. And I think last year it came to, uh, you know, a ultimate high, I won Pan Am's, the Pan Am record. And then I won worlds, uh, with a world championship record and going into that final, there's this guy named Michael McKillop who's won nine world titles and four Paralympic titles and was undefeated. And everyone told me like he couldn't, he couldn't be beat. And uh, yeah, there was definitely, uh, I was definitely going there um, with a little extra incentive. And then I ended up breaking up with my girlfriend, my girlfriend at the time. And she ended up dating one of the, uh, one of the people I'd race. So it was like, it was like this interesting, like um, mixture of uh, motivation. Yeah. Uh, so to say um and so yeah and i ended up winning there and uh yeah that was uh that was a really really cool experience i think i don't really remember too much from the race i just remember hugging my coach heather after the race and the that hug just symbolized um all of the hard work that everyone had put in and it was like such a emotional hug and uh something that i will for sure never forget and something that her and i talk about often and uh, yeah, it was just a really cool experience to get back to my cell phone and have hundreds of messages from people uh, just telling me how proud they are of me and uh, just how cool of an experience it was. And some of like my uncle Trevor Harrison, who um, basically keeps me healthy on the track. He's he's a physio who worked with Blake Griffin, worked with Kobe Bryant, worked with some of the best people in the world and him like almost being in tears, which he's not a person who really uh, is very cheerful very often. So it was just really cool to feel that love for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I ran a marathon a couple of months ago and like my parents were at the finish line and rarely see my dad cry and just to run into his arms and like that hug of just like after finishing such a long race and, you know, hearing him cry. And it's, it's like a different level of emotional that I've just never felt with parents. And it was just, it's a crazy feeling. And I can't imagine what that feeling was like for you weird question but like what what's a typical day like or and when you're training and like 
what does it look like with your training schedule, nutrition? And you were kind of talking about those different people in your life that helped coach you to get you there. Yeah, definitely. So what, uh, obviously, as you know, training is different every day. Um, so basically a little overview of the week, Monday is always off. Tuesday is usually an aerobic session. So that's threshold. So that's um, usually like five, 10 miles where I run up to six or seven miles. Um, a lot of it's, some of it's broken up um, and some of it's not, <laughs> um, some of it's longer stuff. And then Wednesday is a double run and a lift. Thursday is a OYO on your own run, which usually I go out to this beautiful trail here on Vancouver Island. And then Friday is a death session, I call it, where my coach Heather Henninger just kills me. Usually I'm laying on the track like, what was that? I'm kind of feeling and Saturday is uh, double run and lift again. And Sunday is long run. And so I usually run around 50 to 60 miles. I'm a very patient when it comes to like looking at the process. So I'm definitely a lot lower at some times of the year, for sure. Um, and yeah, and so, uh, yeah, it's a lot of the training is I like to do a lot of off the track stuff, too. Um, so we do a lot of just like we have this Pisces loop, it's called. Um, and we it's like a, it's a thousand meters. And so we do a lot of stuff around there and nutrition. Uh, I try my best to, you know, eat healthy. Um, but I definitely allow myself to loosen the reins during certain parts of the year. Um, cause at the end of the day, a happy runner is a fast runner. Yeah. Um, at least that's what I believe. Um, and so, yeah. And so that's, that's, that's really important for me. Um, I definitely grew up in a house that ate a lot of different food. So I love pretty much everything. Mexican is by far my favorite growing up most of my life in Arizona and mm -hmm. being born in California. I feel like, yeah, yeah, you have to like some of that traditional food for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much kind of what it, what it really, really looks like. And everyone wants to know about my, about my long runs. I, I don't know why I, I always get questions about the long runs and usually they're anywhere from like 10 to 14 miles. Mm -hmm. Um, so just kind of in that sweet spot. Uh, but my, uh, the volume's definitely down. My intensity is definitely up for sure. Mm, yeah. I really actually enjoy long runs and I like, I have only really recently got into distance running like in the past year. And a lot of people will be like, how do you just go out and run 14 miles? Or you just go out and like, you know, you spend your day and you know, your long run is basically like what you're doing for the day. And I think it's just such a mind clearing and I don't know. I find it really, it's like something that I oddly look forward to. And I think it's funny when people kind of look at runners and they're like, you guys have to be crazy. Like you're running crazy amounts. And I don't think I'll ever get to a point of running like 50 to 60 miles a week. But like, I think it's, it's just a different type of high that you almost get and kind of just the feeling that you get of just accomplishing more and more and getting stronger and stronger. Do you often think back to just like where how far you'd come and who that 10 year old boy was at one point uh, it makes me laugh every once in a while when like a memory or so pops up and just makes me think like wow it's it's funny the journey that I was on I I love the word journey I think it's uh so indicative of what my life has been and what many people's life has been um and I think I don't look back too too much but it definitely makes me smile uh, when I do, I think, uh, we always joke, like when, um, I kind of created like this ultra ego, um, when I'm on the track called great wolf mentality. 
because my middle name is Gray Wolf and it comes from an elder of a Native American tribe that I'm half Native American. So it's my, I guess, my tribe, the, the tribe I'm aligned with. Um, and so, yeah, I think I go to a dark place when I'm going through really, really tough workouts. Um, and so I think I go back to mo- being motionless on a hospital bed and that's kind of the dark place I go. Um, sometimes it's hard to come back um, for a little bit um, when you go down to that place. So I think I've definitely um, become comfortable with that place. And uh, I've, I definitely forgive the guy who hit me. Um, I have no ill will. I think that was the biggest thing that I needed to get over. Uh, first couple of years, it was like kind of why me. Um, I wouldn't think of why me a lot, but it would definitely pop up from time to time. Um, but yeah, I think I think I like telling my story because I feel like if it helps one person, then I'm doing my job. And I just really want kids to understand that you can accomplish everything you set out to do, even though these road bumps or speed bumps happen. And I'm the old, I'm the oldest of five and my four siblings are by far the most important thing in my life. And so I think that's why I'm so passionate about, about the youth. And, um, I, my brother Max and I were like extremely, extremely tight. Um, and so he's a runner as well. He does a decathlon, but, um, he's six, six. So, um, there's not much of um, not much of distance running anymore. He's slowly bringing slowly bringing his way down to the more middle middle distance events. But it's been it's been really fun to kind of uh, share my experience as he navigates his own journey. Yeah, definitely. Do you would you ever consider like coaching or just like creating your own program with kids when you're older? Is that something that you've already done? Yeah, I definitely helped coach. Uh, I definitely more enjoy the mentoring um, part of it. I think I mentor a little bit, but they end up mentoring me as well um, because, you know, everyone has, has something to teach you. Everyone who's in your life, you teach them something and they teach you something. And so, yeah, I think I just don't think I want a coach's life um, like the like my coach, Heather. She's gone all the time. And obviously like, I want to have kids. So, like, I don't necessarily uh, want to be away like that. Like, I really want to be present um, in my kids' lives. And that's like a a goal from when I was little. And I think how impactful my stepdad was, I think I want to be a presence like he was and like he's, he's been a life changing uh, person in my life. And so, um, so yeah, I don't necessarily know. Um, I love communications. I love to talk, obviously. And uh, I would love to be involved in the in the Paralympic movement. Um, I just just really want to help. I maybe I can do more behind the scenes than I actually can as an athlete. And just like really trying to get those talks open and just like my classification, we don't get like paraathletics doesn't talk about us rarely ever. Um, and a lot of times we don't get interviews from them. Um, I won Worlds and they didn't interview me, um, didn't post anything about it. So I think I just want to change um, the dialogue around that. And so I think uh, I'll definitely be happy to help coach, but I definitely don't think I would ever be the coach as the head coach. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important to get the narrative changed and kind of like you were saying, get the dialogue out more. I think that's, that's definitely something really important and something that would hopefully keep you at home and not have to have you, you know, traveling around too much. But what would you have to say to anyone listening that is kind of going through, you know, kind of like a roadblock in their life, whether it's small, big, and maybe they feel like they can't overcome it. Maybe they feel like, you know, they can't, if they can't play a sport again, 
what what would your words of motivation be? Yeah, I think number one, don't let your injury define you. Because um, I have a quote saying my injuries never never define me, and it never will, and I won't and I won't let it. And it's hard sometimes. Um, at the end of the day, I think a lot of people see and they like, oh, they want a pity athlete to um, have paralysis like me. But at the end of the day, like uh, my story is a story of perseverance. And so I think, um, but having that perspective takes a while for sure. I think when it comes to goal setting, I would say write a goal to, to forget that goal. So I write down, be Paralympic champion. Don't think about it. Um, I think about what do I need to do today to be the best? Um, and I don't grade myself on performance. I grade myself on preparation. How do I prepare for practice every day? Am I not in my on time? Am I early? And so I think if you prepare correctly, you know, that's, that's going to lead to success and give yourself some some leeway life is hard like life ain't easy uh, you know i think find something that you enjoy to do like i love stand up i love watching stand up stand up comedy uh comedy and it's just like i love to laugh obviously you've seen i love to smile and i and i definitely love to laugh and so i think um just understand i always lived uh by two quotes disability isn't an ability and i very much believe that I was never supposed to go to college, never supposed to graduate high school, I'm never supposed to, you know, be a world record holder. Um, so, and I've done all those things. And I think um, just like really lean, in, lean into that, that support system because doing it alone is no fun. You're never really alone, um, but just really take advantage of those, of those people around you. Um, and I think that's super important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I will give you a chance now to kind of just share about your podcast and share about what you have going on. Um, I know that I was looking into it and some of the guests that you have on are really, really cool and really exciting. Yeah, no, it's been a been an interesting journey. You know, as we talked about, I stuttered really bad. And um, I was really scared to start my own podcast because yeah, I, I, I don't talk or slash communicate. Uh, I think optimally, and uh, that was uh, yeah something I struggled with for my basically since I was ten, um, and so I was like, you know what, Nate, like why don't you just take a risk um, and really go out there? And I think I created it for multiple reasons. Uh, number one, selfishly to learn. Um, I love I love to learn, and so I really want really want to learn and just to promote Paralympic athletes um, and then actually Olympic athletes as well. Um, I think we can learn something from each other. And I think that's really important. And um, I think a lot of times like you have teammates and you go to practice, then you go home, you don't see them. Mm -hmm. uh, but at, on my podcast, we can dive in and I've learned like Tom, who's one of my best friends. I learned so much about him interviewing him for the first episode. Like it was like, I was like, dude, I didn't even know like all this stuff about you. And we traveled the world together. Um, so it was really cool to like really understand. And I think um, as well as, I have two sisters and I want them to see individuals that look like them mm -hmm. and kicking ass. Um, so that was another important. And so, yeah, it's called Strides with Grey Wolf. Um, been doing it since the pandemic. And so I don't think I'm good necessarily, but I just enjoy having a good chat and uh, having some fun. And it's really around high performance and adversity. And uh, I'm definitely a fan in, um, really looking back and um, showing where people come from, not necessarily to reminisce, but I feel like you have to go back to actually go forward. 
Yeah. And so that's kind of how most of the stories start. And yeah, I've been, I love creating content. One of my favorite things to do. Um, my girlfriend always laughs at me because I'm always on my computer doing stuff and like, does this look good? Cause she's an artist and I'm like, and I'm horrible with like color combinations. And um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's been really fun. I've, I've, I've learned a lot. I think as an athlete, sometimes uh, you're told to not be creative, you're mm. told just to do it. And so that really uh, occupies my creative side for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually interviewing someone a couple weeks ago and we were kind of talking about how when you start podcasting, I don't think people think, or you don't think about the type of people or like who's listening, who you may be impacting. And I think that note that you had made earlier about, you know, you never know who you're influencing, but if you can influence one person, if you can make an impact on that one person, it makes it all worth it. And I think when I started my podcast, I was just honestly doing it because it was a way to fill time during the pandemic also. And it was just nice to kind of have a break from like a full-time job. That's kind of more, you know, just desk job. And I'm just kind of on calls all the time. And this is like, you know, something that you can look forward to and you're, you, you can be creative with it. You can, it's like something that you can actually be passionate about. And I just feel like I never would have envisioned meeting so many amazing people from it. And I think that's the best part that was kind of like the blessing in disguise of the podcast is that, you know, even though we're all in a pandemic and we're all quarantined, we're actually getting to be connected like this. And we get to connect with people all over and hear their different stories and different yeah, different adversities that they've overcome. So I just wanted to thank you again so much for being on the show today. And it's been just really awesome to hear your story. And just, I mean, you speak so much, like so much volume to like who you are. And I think it's just like the way that you come off is just so confident and so happy and so joyful. And I feel like that's going to have such an impact on, you know, whoever you're speaking to, whether that be kids with disabilities or, you know, an audience of people that are listening to your podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. I just tried to be me. You know, that's uh, that's one thing I have uh, tried to do my entire life. Just try to be me, and I'm definitely a bit crazy. And I think I'm funny, which I'm not funny, but um, I definitely think I am. So it's uh, yeah, no, it's fun. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It was awesome. Um, it was cool, kind of looking at your other episodes and just seeing how how well well they were. And so yeah, I was like, this would be super fun. <laughs> All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up another episode of the Resiliency and Running podcast. I really do hope you enjoyed it. And a special thank you to Nate again for being on the show. It was truly such a special opportunity. If you would like to learn more about Nate's story or just get in touch with him, I will have all of his links in the show notes. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to shoot me a message on Instagram. I'm just at Resiliency and Running for the podcast. Also, if you have been enjoying the podcast, please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts as it really helps but I do hope to see you in the next episode. Bye.